welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. Welcome to another episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, and today we are talking about accents. I'm sorry, I I myself cannot do accents. Uh, I am cursed to sound like I was born and raised in New Jersey my entire life. Uh, there's no changing that. Uh, but that is why dialect and accent coaches exist. Uh, and we've assembled one heck of a crew today for you. Joining us are Paul Meyer, Denise Woods, Rebecca Gosnell, and Bob Korf. Combined, they have a decades, decades of experience. I'm talking 40 plus years uh, teaching every accent imaginable to a client list you would not believe. I'm talking about Samuel L. Jackson, Kit Harrington, Don Cheadle, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, the list goes on, and all of those actors trusted this lineup to teach them how to master dialect. And now, they're here to teach you the very same thing. So let's get right into it. This is the accent episode. This podcast is of course brought to you by Backstage, the number one source for actors looking to get cast. That is probably you. If you're listening to In the Envelope, there's a pretty good chance you're an actor searching for your next gig. Friends, wonderful listeners, I've got some good news. Backstage is offering 30 days free just for you, our In the Envelope audience. 30 days, totally free. I'm a podcast host. I don't do math, but I do know 30 days for $0 is a pretty good deal. All you got to do is head over to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout. And boom, you have access to thousands of casting notices posted and updated every day. It's all totally filterable. Are you bilingual? Can you dance? Can you juggle? There's probably a gig in there for you somewhere. Just upload a headshot, start applying, and get that dream going. A lot can happen in 30 days, trust me, but first, you gotta subscribe. Get to it. Hi everyone, this is Paul Meyer, and I'm the, uh, the founder and president of Paul Meyer Dialect Services. But my, my favorite and number one thing as my website, Paul Meyer Dialect Services, would suggest is, in fact, accent and dialect coaching for the entertainment industry. Uh, my name is Denise Woods. I am a dialect coach. I'm a writer and um, I am a teacher as well. And I am currently working on two television series. I am doing it remotely. I'm wor working on, uh, and they're both Hulu series. And I'm working on Washington Black executive produced by Sterling K. Brown. And then I'm working on a, a beautiful, interesting series uh, called St. X. And the Washington Black series is a period piece, which interests me significantly. 
immediately. And St. X is, is set on a fictitious Caribbean island. So we're doing a hybrid of dialects so that it's not specific to one place. I'm Bob Korf, and I'm a voice and dialect coach. And I've been doing it almost about 40 years now. And my wife and I, my wife, Claire, who's also a great teacher, we've worked with some of the best people in the business, Vanessa Redgrave, Antonio Banderas, Salma Hayek, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And the list, if you go to my website, even I'm impressed with that list. I'm Rebecca Gosnell. I am a coach primarily based out of the UK and Europe, but born and raised in the US. And I specialize mostly in uh, American accents. So working with a lot of British actors, British, Irish, Scottish, Welsh actors to sound American in film, TV, theater. I worked on The Inheritance at The Young Vic. I worked on Waitress in the West End. Um, I worked on True West in the West End. I worked on, oh gosh, quite a few things. Accent work means starting broad and then working your way in. So I wanted to know the very first steps an actor takes on their road to dialect mastery. The first step is developing your ear for the dialect or accent. And that requires a lot of research, that requires specificity, and you can develop an ear if some people just have it naturally. They just have a knack for doing accents. And some people have to really work at it. But even with the, the group of people for whom it, it becomes quite easy, you still have to really do your due diligence in, in, terms, of, in terms of research because specificity is key because it needs to be consistent. If you are doing a particular sound and then two scenes later that sound changes, that's a, a huge red flag for audience members who really have no sense of dialect work. They just know something's off. They can't, can't quite put their finger on it, but they know something's not, not on point. And so that really occurs when you dig deep in your investigation and listening to sounds and developing that, that ear so that those sound changes can be consistent. I think what everyone wants to know going in is what are some very general ground rules for the accent that they're going for? Um, some people want a lot of detail and they want to know every single thing. Um, some people want just a few details, but even just having like, like two key sounds to start accessing, um, you know, what is different from my accent going into this accent, um, it can be extremely useful. So normally it's, it's just, I like to go through like, what are the signature sounds of this accent? Um, and normally we can play around with that by doing different exercises, doing practice sentences, kind of tongue twister things. Um, so there are a lot of different ways in, but I think everyone wants to know what are the signature sounds you know, give me just a few rules that I can hang on to in order to start this kind of daunting process of, of uh, learning an accent and performing in an accent. So if I'm working with a, a British actor, especially an actor from England, um, normally it's the letters R and L. So consonants R and L are really key because the way that we make them in the US, the action, the sound is completely different um, than most accents uh, from 
England specifically. Uh, so nailing that, um, we might go over the, the way that the tongue is working in the mouth. We might go over some specific exercises to, to start playing around with that, maybe some visualization exercises. Um, so, it, you know, that's probably the first thing that I do with most of my clients when they're looking at learning an American accent. Well, I always break it down to simple things. It's like there's a placement. As an example, the Ameri good American speakers, and there's a lot of bad American speakers like there are everywhere in the world, but good American speakers are very flat mouths. So they go, no. The O goes straight back, you. And the English would go, no, you, good. So they're much more forward. Their lips physically go forward. There are many, many other accents and dialects that I don't publish manuals for, um, that I that I coach on a regular basis. I was doing one yesterday for Persian, for example. I don't publish uh, a manual for the for the way Persian folks, Iranians speak in English. So I had to uh, quote nice primary source materials for that client, and I was able to line up through idea primarily some great uh, Iranian speakers speaking in English, so we could listen to our real Iranians, Persians, if you like, uh, speak. So that's pretty typical too. And um, depend, and, and then I'll, I'll point out the significant uh, signature sounds. You know, in the in the case of the Persian accent I was doing yesterday, you know, I uh, outlined ten or twelve sort of go-to signature sounds. You know, what do they do with the TH? Is it these three things or these three things? What do they do with the R? Is it uh, run, rabbit, run, or run, rabbit, run? What do they do with trap words? Is it, you know, trap or trap? Uh, is it kit or kit? You know, so those are what I call the signature sounds. But the overall, the most important part for this particular client was the, the rhythm of Iranian or Persian-accented English, which is what we call a, um, syllable-timed instead of the stress-timed rhythm of English. So uh, a sentence like, um, like, uh, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe he would just give up his job and walk away. You know, you can hear the, the stress varies according to the keyword. I can't believe he would just give up his job and walk away. But an, uh, an Iranian would be much more liable to do a, a syllable-timed stress. I, I, can't, I can't believe that he would just give up his job and walk away. So you, you can hear that I'm stressing much more equally, spreading the stress more equally over the uh, syllables of that sentence. Nailing down one accent is daunting. With hundreds of regional dialects in the mix, learning more than one seems impossible. But there is a bit of homework you can do to make that jump easier. Sure, sure. Um, even though it's not required, and the vast majority of my clients don't know the international phonetic alphabet, and they're not literate in that system, it certainly would help uh, in the ear training and your attitude towards lang uh, languages and accents and dialects, if you had some phonetic ability, so that you know that you're not dealing with letters, for example, you're not dealing with the letter A, B, the letters A, B, C, you're dealing with sounds and getting into that knowledge that different people pronounce English in different ways 
Uh, you have to distinguish between all the different ways of spelling um, an er, uh, this, the sound er in urn. Uh, obviously, the British is urn. And maybe some parts of the stars still say urn without the R coloration. Um, but that sound is spelled in so many different ways. You know, you've got herd and bird and and uh, and furtive and, and so forth. These drop down into what we call standard lexical sets. This is a colleague of mine, J.C. Wells, John Wells, invented this lexical set system, so whereby he grouped words into their families of sounds, regardless of their spelling, but what, uh, what words belong in the family of that sound. And it's a wonderful predictor of, of accent. When, when you know as an actor that anything that's in the, in the uh, nurse lexical set, as we call it, any other word in that lexical set with the er sound is going to be pronounced the same way. So Americans would say urn, bird, furtive, fur, furry, um, hurry, but British Brits will say, you know, and ban, fairy, and, you know, will pronounce those family words exactly the same way. So that makes the job immensely easier. And you're, you're thinking now as an actor in a phonetic way, a phonological way. Uh, rather than being um, in lockstep with spelling. You know, we, our lives are slightly tyrannized by mm-hmm. the standard spelling that we have of our language in English because it's, been, it was, its spelling was regularized, you know, four, 400 years ago, but its pronunciation has gone on evolving. Um, it's, a really, it's a real red herring for, for people whose first language isn't English mm-hmm. to encounter that huge variability of spelling, it's, it's almost impossible to predict from spelling alone how a word should be pronounced. Unlike in Spanish and and some other languages that have that were standardized in pronunciation and spelling, you know, more recently. So that's the way I'm getting an actor to think phonetically, to think of sounds and not of spelling and of and of words as they appear on the on the script. The two main focus areas we arrived on are what is physically happening with your mouth. And what is happening musically with the rhythm of an accent? We want to start with the physicality, or quite literally, how wide you're opening your mouth. It's a big part of it because, uh, you know, a lot of countries are are very close. I mean, you know, Russian is very close because they're not trying to tell you something. And so there's usually some psychological or historical reason why they got Americans are like, hey, come on in. And, you know, we're just get this big open hole and we're other places are very constricted. You know, they don't. And then it, you're, you're Italian. Italians are like so full of passion. They want to explode. And so the, I try and get a little little thing that can help them understand the energy of that place. If somebody in front of you, you look at them and if they're from France, they go, their mouth is very small and the lips are very forward. So you go, now, if you want to do this American thing, you got to get those lips flat to your teeth because that our upper lip is like glued to our teeth. It doesn't go anyplace. It just stays right there. And we may mainly go up, down, up, down, like a ventriloquist dummy. 
you start with the sound changes, the vowel changes, the diphthong changes, the, the, the consonant sounds that are different. Where in the mouth are these sounds formed? Are they formed further in the back of the throat? Are they formed in the middle? Um, is, is, are, are they formed in the front of the mouth? So, so you want to you wanna listen to where these sounds are formed, how they're formed, what the shape of the sound is, what the shape of the mouth looks like when you're, when you're you know, forming these sounds. David Allen Stern, one of my good friends and, and colleagues who's a real senior figure in our industry, came up with the term imaginary point of resonance. And uh, he, he has great success with that. And, and uh, I've adapted that and, and taken that on board. Yeah. Where in the mouth does the sound come from? You know, we famously, um, you know, American English can sit, right, can sit back here. Uh, and it feels like the imaginary point of resonance is in the back of the mouth. Whereas, you know, David, David would say, think of, think, think of a standard British accent, you know, think of the imaginary point of resonance as sitting just outside the front, the, just outside in front of the mouth. And, and that, that little trick, although it may not have too much basis in reality, uh, is a really helpful subjective um, way to, to get the people to reform the musculature of, of their, uh, the, the, the oral posture. Of, of that accent. And that's, that, that can be very, very helpful. It can mean a lot of different things. It can mean sort of visualizing the inside of your mouth, like actually visualizing what's happening. So that's a little bit more concrete to so kind of think, okay, we're going to make the tongue do this. You're actually doing it, but you're thinking it as well. Um, it can also mean something a lot more uh, kind of nebulous, but might work for the actor. I worked with an actor on a show and I, he was having a little bit of trouble accessing a sound. He finally got it. I said, what does that feel like? Um, and he goes, oh, it feels like a cathedral in my mouth. So then he had to listen to me for, you know, many weeks later going, you know, the cathedral in your mouth. It didn't necessarily make sense to me, but it worked for him. Uh, so sometimes it's about creating images and accessing things that work for the actor. Um, in, in order to recreate that accent on a on a daily basis, I would love to know what they meant by <laughs> cathedral. <laughs> um, I think moving from his accent, he actually was originally from Wales, so I'm thinking just based off of the Welsh accent into the American accent. I think he just felt like he could kind of spread and widen uh, the inside of his mouth a bit more than he was used to speaking on it on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. But I love that image of like it's a cathedral in my mouth. Well, great. You know, you can tap into that much easier than, um, than this kind of anatomically, I'm going to spread my mouth. Um, mm. So I, I love those, those images that pop up along the way. Once you've perfected that physicality, accent work becomes about learning the specific tones, the rhythms, and the music of your character's dialect. We might also talk about tonality. You know, uh, you heard me demonstrate the broad difference between a typical or stereotypical American accent uh, and a British accent. Uh, there's quite a bit of difference in tonality. Um, by the way, I, I was born and raised English, British, but I've lived most of my life in the United States. So I think I have credentials in both clubs, if you, if you like. Totally um, But tonality, you know, if you, if you think of, you know, Jane Austen or the, you know, the period dramas of the BBC, you know, this might be the tonality that's, that's used. Uh, if you think of contemporary American, you know, if I'm teaching a Brit how to sound American, you know, it might be, you know, think of it as a harsher, a harsher tone. 
sitting further back in the mouth, maybe with a little nasal resonance. I mean, that's a broad generalization, and there are plenty of Americans who don't sound a bit like that, but sometimes that can be helpful. Rhythm is huge. Rhythm is is perhaps the most difficult to, to figure out. You've got to listen to the rhythm of the dialect. And I I recommend listening to the music of, of, of the place rhythmically so that you can hear the musicality in the sound. That's that's the last piece and perhaps the most difficult is rhythm. I mean it's it's one thing to be able to ostensibly hear a particular sound. But then how they put a lilt on it or they put a spin on it, it's, it's the same as listening to classical music versus jazz. You know, um, it, it, it's a different, different rhythm, a different sensibility. If somebody said, I want to do Boston, I just go to the Boston and then I just apply. See, once we figured out that it really is, I have to teach them the melody in Boston. They have a tendency to go up at the end. And you just start with the melody till they get that. A client will come to me and say, I want to do this. Um, I want to do a New York accent. Well, maybe they are um, born and raised in English in the United States or or Canada. And so they already have a command of the the general accent. So um, then we would move into the particularities of New York. You know, what distinguishes... Um, a New York accent from uh, from a general American, and you know, you know you might focus on things like um, in, uh, instead of you know Mary, as in I got married. You know, uh, a New Yorker is much more likely to say I got married. Um, you know, is it is it hand or hand? I really like to bring in movement work when we approach the the music of the accent. Um, some people have really good ears; they're really good mimics, and you know they could mimic any accent at any time. But the majority of people, majority of people, just are you know that's just not their thing. Mm-hmm. And so when we bring in movement, like for example, moving someone from maybe a, a an accent of Uh, the south of England into an American accent. I really like people to get to move around and kind of press things at the end of the phrase. Um, And it allows them to get that kind of musicality, not just from uh, like a head approach, but also a body approach that they really need to drive through to the end of the thought for this American accent. Um, and that's that's a, a little bit more of a broad brushstrokes approach. But then we can even come down into something quite small into, you know, what is this character? Is there a physicality that the actors already found in rehearsals with the character? Can we weave that in with the accent work? You know, is there a physicality that, the, that helps um, sort of access a sound in a way that's not distracting, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes it, it can really inform uh, the characterization slash the characterization can inform the accent. So you've got the accent down and your job is about a quarter of the way done. You're an actor first and that accent must inform your character on stage or in front of the camera. The audience doesn't want to hear the accent. The audience wants to hear the story. And I think sometimes people forget that. They were really dead set on getting in the accent right, that they forget about actually telling the story. So uh, 
come back to like, what are your operative words? What are you, what is the meaning? What is the subtext? What is your relationship? Don't um, neglect all of those other wonderful uh, scene study, acting, rehearsal, things that, that are important to an actor just because you have to act in an accent. Um, the accent should inform the character, not like overwhelm the character. One thing that I like to do though, is I like to have clients find, perhaps if we find that, that magical sample speaker or we find a, a podcast that we like the, the voices on that fit this kind of thing, this show. Um, I like them to find like a couple of magic phrases, little phrases that will help launch them into the accent. Um, and so, yes, then it does become kind of a little bit of a mimic thing, but they've got these couple of phrases that ground them in the accent and act as a little bit of a launch pad into the accent. Here's where my contradictory <laughs> moment comes in. You don't get too seduced by the music. That's always, I find, where, um, just coming back to point one, where the, the audience is hearing the accent and not what the person's saying, um, is that the, the actors kind of become overly seduced by the music. And all we're hearing is the music of the accent. Um, and it's like, well, what are they saying? Some people right off the bat are able to start integrating that technique work into the artistry work. Um, and some people it takes a little bit more time. And we might be looking at, you know, how does the accent inform what's being said? That might come into the intonation patterns a little bit. I, I don't try to give people line readings, but it might be like, oh no, in this accent, we'd probably stress this word over this word, or, you know, what does your character mean and how can that inform the accents? We're kind of doing this, this constant um, circle, right? Between character, meaning, um, uh, the back to the accent, <laughs> where the rhythm is. And then on an even broader level, we can get quite imaginative. We can start applying the accent into different areas of the body, making sure that it is quite embodied, doing different movement exercises whilst speaking in the accent. So it feels um, much more embodied and not just like the accent is just sitting at the level of the mouth, mm -hmm. um, which is oftentimes when the audience is like, I don't know if I really believe them. Um, so we wanna be sure that the, the accent kind of shakes out from the just technical side of the vowels and the consonants into like a full bodied, uh, embodied approach. The ultimate aim is to be credible in the character that you're playing or, or auditioning for or, or playing that you've been cast in. That's the ultimate goal. And of course you take the backstory of that character, uh, the socioeconomic background, the age, you know, all of the factors that make that an individual. And so you're trying to come up with that character's idiolect. You know, we have dialects, which, broad groups of people, but it's nice to think that each of us individually have a, a, a variant of that, which we call the idiolect. There's been all sorts of stuff. I, I worked with Lydia Wilson on the 47th, and that was a real person. That was Ivanka Trump. And we got so into the kind of psychology of Ivanka Trump in order to find the voice. Um, so sometimes it's about going a, a completely different, completely different route um, for for uh, accessing the accent. You know, who is this person? Mm -hmm. What are they thinking? Um, and how is that affecting the way that they're delivering uh, their message? Oh my God! We listened to 
hours and hours of interviews with Ivanka Trump. I mean, <laughs> I think I was going mad uh, with the, with Ivanka Trump by the end. I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. glad to have some distance from from Ivanka Trump. To be honest, in my life, I, did, I didn't think I. Uh, would ever need <laughs> to be that close to Ivanka Trump. Um, and then, you know, it's a little bit of figuring out, okay, well, what's her relationship to her father? What's her upbringing? What is she, what is her role in the family? And how does that affect someone vocally? So yeah, we're going off of a, a kind of an accent, but for a real person, you also have to find their voice, which is, is something kind of bigger than than accent. Accent sits within the, the broader voice. So listening to her intonation patterns, uh, it's a bit like playing kind of psychotherapist armchair <laughs> diagnoses, you know. But it sometimes it works to find find that for for the right character, especially mm-hmm. a, a person who's a real person uh, who really is alive or you know was alive uh, if it's someone in the past. I basically say, learn the notes so that you can play the music. And acting is playing the music, but you got to know the notes in order. It frees you. The ability to know technique, the technical aspect of the dialect frees you to play. And uh, so studying, 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 uh, just repetition. And I don't mean just like, you know, going over your lines over and over and over again. I mean, going to YouTube and listening, really, really listening to to actual samples of the dialect. But also, I mentioned this before, I just did this with an actor. Um, I, I give links to the music of the place, to the culture, the food, so that you become completely immersed into, into the culture, which is a visceral approach to this, as well as the technical practice of it. You have to understand why people sound the way they do, why the mouths are not open. Because, I mean, if the jaw is tight, a lot of times a tight jaw can be the result of, you know, people not opening up their mouths because it's, it's cold outside, you know, just little things like that. And, and when, you, when you go that deeply into the investigation, it makes it fun. You, 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 you've got to know why people sound the way they sound. Um, and, and it makes it organic. It's not just a technically proficient performance, but it's an organic investigation of not just how, but why. We've all seen it, an actor dipping in and out of an accent as their performance goes on. I was curious how an actor stays in an accent once they've finally slipped it on. The last thing on an actor's mind when he or she's performing, is actually in, in performance, is the accent. If you're thinking mm-hmm. about the accent, you're dead. You, it's got to be habitual and instinctive by the point at which you commit to a performance. So having said that, um, it's, 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 it's the daily practice. It's the workout, you know, maybe you're in the shower and, uh, you're, you, you know, you're, you're going to be on set in an Irish accent and a Belfast accent. And, uh, you, you, you go through familiar texts like, uh, you know, a, a Hamlet speak, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer this, you know, so you take a familiar text that's in within your audition repertoire uh, one that you've never done in that accent, perhaps, and you, you, you find what it takes to, to not think anymore about the accent, but just to, to do Hamlet's lines. Uh, uh, and by that point, if you can switch from speech to speech, to from auditions, from monologue to monologue, and stay in the accent, then you know 
that on a prepared text that you've been rehearsing and been coached in, then, then you're more likely to be able to stay in it and, and not think about it once you are in performance. Every day, what works, let's keep that. That didn't work. Throw that out. Don't use that again. Mm. So, and it's like tomato is tomato. Potato is potato. Can't is can't. And can is can. Figure is figure. And bean or bin is bean. So it's... Uh, each one, I could open up any of these books and just mm -hmm. show you the little thing just to wake them up. And then we have pages and pages of things to, for them to go over. Breaking it to, we, we work with them on the same vowel in, the same, in a sentence that keeps on happening over and over. That doesn't usually happen in, in real writing. But if you can keep your mouth in the same position for the same, you know, Jack's gas is no laughing matter. All the vowels on those words are ah. So once you get that vowel, you go to the next vowel and you go through them all. Another thing that you can use before you go on stage, which was not my idea, but I have to give all the credit to the wonderful coach Beth McGuire, is to put like one earbud in or kind of one side of the headphone and have your sample speaker playing, but really low. So you kind of create a cafe effect. You know, if you're in a cafe and all of a sudden you're like, why do I sound Scottish? Oh, I was sitting next to a Scottish person. Um, we do tend to kind of um, mold our accents uh, into some people more than others into someone else's. So if you have that just kind of running thing, running through your ear very quietly of someone speaking in the accent, that will help pull you back into it. Um, so I, I love that, uh, that piece of advice. And I, I tell it to my actors, but it is from Beth McGuire. That's not my brilliant idea. I offered up a final question to the whole panel, whether they could remember a breakthrough moment from one of their clients that illustrates what the accent process is really like. What came up the most is something actors will hear time and time again. Do anything you can to get comfortable outside your comfort zone. It comes up a lot because the way that we speak is just normal for us. You know, it's it's our total, you know, base, ground level. There's, there's nothing bizarre about the way that we speak. But moving from the way that someone else speaks, we have like, ingrained habits right in the way that our muscles sit in the way that our muscles move so we do have to work to adjust those habits let those habits go in order to take new habits to to uh to speak with a new accent um oftentimes that includes you know like what are the lips doing are they rounding a lot in this accent are they spreading are they pursing are they puckering um what's the tongue doing is it like you know does it want to bunch does it want to flattened? Does it want to sit in a hammock? Does it want to sit in you know, a hot dog bun? There could be all sorts of things um, that, that's going on in an accent. Um, and I think that what people run into sometimes is the realization of, oh, I can't do that yet. <laughs> I, my muscles aren't, um, aren't in a position that, that I can change them yet. So we do a lot of 
exercises, I say it's kind of like going to the gym for your mouth. Or I had an actor call it the dialect dojo. He was very into martial arts. Um, and we're just kind of strengthening new areas of the mouth or releasing areas as well. You say, guess what? These muscles have worked so great for you up until, you know, however old you are. But guess what? They get to turn off for this accent. The ability to do accents and dialects you know, is hugely variable person to person. Mm-hmm. You know, some people really, you know, have a tin ear uh, going into it um, and uh, are scared to death of, of it. And, and if you're the dialect coach on the film or play uh, and you have this actor who doesn't want to do the dialect at all, he's looking for, you know, any way to avoid going into that scary territory. Um, yeah, working with such an actor and, and giving them su- some success moments usually breaks down that fear. The, one of the first steps in the accent acquisition in my manual is to put the, uh, the, a particular sound in, in a sentence. So uh, the farmer burned down his barn, uh, you know, would get the English actor who's terrified of doing an American accent to, to be comfortable with what we call roticity, R-H-O. T-I-C-I-T-Y, the R coloration. Um, you know, they they used to say, you know, the farmer burned down his barn. Uh, but getting them to to know the early success of being able to say the farmer burned down his barn, uh, and vice versa, you know, the American accent act, actor trying the non-rhotic variety. Give them something to be successful in, and the fear goes away, and they're more open to to being playful. I love those moments where the actor is really physical, uh, like it's a physical actor and kind of comes going, I don't know about this voice work. Uh, <laughs> you know, are, are they going to make me do elocution lessons or repetition exercises, which for some actors, they, they love that. Um, but I remember one actor backstage just throwing a ball so that he could feel that sense of like release on the end of the word. Um, and he got it. And it was like the accent just clicked into place. Um, another actress, similar exercise, but it was that that tapping something of the last word. She really needed to get the final word in. I've got one very specific. I've got several, but this one is just, it brought both of us to tears when it just sunk in. And it was, it was more voice than dialect, which is the same. You know, you've got to find the voice. Where does the voice resonate in the person? Is it in the head? Is it the chest? How is it resonating? And then you add on the, the, the speech sounds, the sounds of speech and the rhythm and the cadence. But I start with the voice. Where is the voice placed? And it was so interesting because I subscribe to the Alexander Technique. I don't know how many actors know about the Alexander Technique, but if you don't know about the Alexander Technique, you should. And uh, and this actor uh, was Mahershala Ali for Green Book. And yes, exactly. I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who can't see us, he just he yeah. Just, it was this is a is a uh, audio only podcast, but I did just touch my chest because. <laughs> Yeah. So um, how we found that voice was I, I said to him, just lift up through the spine, Mahershala, lift up. And I want you to tilt your head over just a tilt, a bevel, just a tilt 
as if you're looking down on the rest of the world. And I want you to sort of, you know, look, you know, sort of as if you were looking over your glasses, over the tops of your glasses, over the rest of the world. And I really want you to feel the length in your spine and widening across the chest and get that head really pivoting high above the tip of your spine and just look down on everyone else as if, you know, you're kind of above it. You're artistically, culturally above it all. And he did this and the voice that came out of this man, he and I both started crying. It was just the, so the physical, it was physiological. He, how he found his voice was through opening up, you know, lifting through the spine and widening across the chest and making the head do something. His whole physicality just informed his voice, which then informed the speech. It was this beautiful domino effect. I'll never forget it. We both just, we knew that that was the moment. This story, it could be an accent. It could be uh, working on the voice or anything. I was working with uh, Faye Dunaway. And I, I, I tell the story because I have great respect for her. But this was like the second lesson. And everything I would say to her, she would go, I don't like that exercise. And I was thinking, okay, let me see what I can do. And I would come up with another one. And then um, she would go, I don't like it. I said, well, do you have an accent you like, uh, exercise you like? And she went, yes, I like this one. I said, well, try that. And she, then she said, why, why am I deciding what to do? Why don't you? And I'm, at which point she said, I'll be back. And she went into the back room and she stayed there for 40 minutes. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to be good. This is going to be a rough thing for the people who sent this woman to me to fix and all of a sudden the door opened up and she came out and she said, I'm sorry, I got scared. Let's start again. And she was like, wonderful from that point. So that, if it can happen at that level, yeah, it's like you just have to forgive yourself and just jump back in. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.